And Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law. This is the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast with your hosts, Michael Campbell and Greg Howell. All right, welcome to a new episode of the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. And our my dear co-host Greg is off in the Caribbean, sitting on a beach, sipping non-alcoholic uh, margaritas, I'm sure. So uh, we've all been hanging out recently at the Called Convention, so uh, I know he and his family definitely deserve a little uh, vacay. Uh, and so uh, I've invited our good mutual friend and uh, compatriot in Adventist history, uh, Matthew Lucio himself. Yes. Welcome, Matthew, to this episode. Thank you so much. And Greg, when you're listening to this, I uh, we expect virgin pina coladas to be to come back with you and and be sent to us like actually just stop by on your way back greg (laughs) that's right it's not fair man matthew i I think somehow we got to do like some kind of adventist history network like retreat where we just all Mm. go to the caribbean together you know that's right apparently at greg's house i mean you got one job greg you just have to do one podcast episode once a month and that's when you plan your vacation buddy come Uh, on man yeah, it's not cool. So he's going to pay. He's going to pay for our uh, our Adventist history vacation. I'm loving the sound of that, Matthew. So, <laughs> and and some of our listeners may be just kind of wondering, you know, okay, so what are Michael and Matthew going to talk about? And I found a really, really amazing story from Adventist mission history that has never been published, at least in recent memory, for decades and decades. That I'm so stoked about. Yeah. This story, I had I had never read this story before, and I I was asking you, is this one of those? I mean, we there's so many mission story books in Adventist history yeah. that get published and then they get forgotten by people, right? Or they or right. they rest on a church library mm-hmm. bookshelf somewhere and no one reads them. Is this one of those stories? Has it been written about before? It has been written about, but probably not in at least about sixty years. Like you know, most of the stuff that. I had to mine through old primary sources from really almost uh, 90 years ago. So wow. um, it's pretty, pretty cool. Some people left some memory statements, but when this comes out, it's going to be really, um, you know, I, I try hard, Matthew, to find stuff that you haven't heard about before. <laughs> <laughs> That's not very hard. Uh, <laughs> you, you guys are the experts here. So oh, wh- where are we going today? What country are we going for this story? All right. We're going to China. China, 1920s, and in the Adventist church, the work there is still in its infancy. So it's it's getting going. Um, Some people may remember Abram LaRue, self-supporting missionary, goes over to Hong Kong in the 1880s. You have uh, Jay and Anderson, his wife Emma, his sister-in-law, Ida, they all go and, and, and they go as missionaries also to Hong Kong. Um, and begin to set the stage there on the mainland. There's others. I mean, we could talk about many other stories that, that quickly join forces, That just an incredible place. But what's interesting, at the beginning of the 20th century, Adventism realizes they need to make up for lost time. There's, there's millions and millions of people in China, in Asia overall, but especially in China. And so if we don't do something, and really the work of the church in China took off in World War I, because there's all this fighting going on in, in Afri- North Africa, Middle East, obviously Europe, um, all of this stuff in, in World War One. that means that you still have a lot of people that are passionate and resources. And so the church really invests during the 19-teens um, through the early 1920s and says China. And, and so the just church blossoms, Matthew. It blossoms. Um, mm. and, and the story that we have to, to tell today is the story of where our Adventist missionaries, now they're in Nanjing. Uh, Matthew, I should have asked you this before. Have you ever been to China? I've never been to China. Okay, I'm feeling the need to have not that, that retreat with that, that yes. Greg is, uh, is sponsoring. Maybe we should just go over to China together. I, I think I think we can do that. That sounds <laughs> like no big deal. I mean, Greg's paying, so it really doesn't yeah. matter where we yeah. go. Hey, but thanks, this- Greg. <laughs> Appreciate it. We're, we're having a vote here. And it looks like it's two in favor. It's unanimous. (laughs) It's unanimous. (laughs) 
So, so we're in Nanjing here. Nanjing. And if you go playing up the Yellow up. River, it's about a hundred miles inland or so. Uh, so, so you have Shanghai, which is one of the major cities on the coast in Southeast China. Today, it's where a lot of the the shipping happens there. And so you've got the the river, which is the kind of the heartbeat going into China and all its tributaries. Think of it like the Mississippi River, right? You know, it's it's all this trade, all this agriculture, all this stuff through the the center part yeah. of China, where all of uh, so much happens. And yeah. so you go up up that river, and this the city Nanjing is there. It's a university town, and Adventists are interested in it not only to establish a mission station, but there's universities and access where they can have their missionaries go and learn the Chinese language, which is mm. kind of what the most essential thing. If you're going to be a missionary, yeah. you got to learn the language. Critical. Now, for those who are who are looking up a map right now to figure out where we're talking about, you can do that. For the millennials and Gen Z, let me just tell you, it's north of where your iPhones are made. Okay, there we up, go. <laughs> way up the coast. All right. Yeah, so this yeah. is a university town. This is where uh -huh. Avenus uh, found a school to, to do uh, so people station. can learn Chinese. Mm -hmm. And so... This is a this is like a hub you're saying of Avenus mission work in China. Absolutely. So uh, it's a major major center. Missionaries would usually take uh, anywhere from twelve to eighteen months to really learn the language. So you're going there. You and and when by the way, a century ago when you were a missionary and you signed up to be a missionary, it was a lifelong commitment. You weren't going for a couple years. Mm. Ah, let's see how it goes. You were going with the expectation that very likely you would die. You would live your life and die there if necessary, and so yeah. So you're going there, and you take um, you take the time you need to really learn the language. If you don't learn the language, they'll send you home because you're a defective missionary, Matthew. Boy, that's <laughs> that's hardcore. And I, I yeah. see that you you've written there's about 68 members of the church there mm -hmm. in in Nanking or Nanjing. By that time, mm -hmm. so by, by that time, maybe about a, a decade or so that there had been a mission station established there so there's a small church there's a small school um in addition to the you know fresh meat <laughs> the missionaries yeah, yeah, yeah. that come into town and that are regularly rotating through there at the university of nanjing um learning learning the language wow so uh, you know people can visualize i think an average avenist church in the in the western world 68 would be would would you know probably be a little bit more Mm -hmm. Or so than an average rural church. This is a there's a lot of Avenus here, and like you said, there it's a hub. They're going out from the school once they learn the language, right to their assignments in China. Yeah, and and so what happens in 1927 that that upsets all of this? Yeah, so there's the civil war that's breaking out. So you've got uh, the, the National Revolutionary Army, which is in the north. You've got these uh, southern soldiers. Uh, some people may be familiar with the name Shai Kai-shek. This is where he makes his grand debut. He'll become very important in uh, Chinese politics in the 30s and 40s, all the way up until uh, the communist revolution and, and the communists take over the country in 49, and he goes over to, uh, to Taiwan. So um, mm -hmm. this is shaping all of this, and these are people that know each other, right? So um uh, that that uh, Mao and others. I mean, there there's these relationships, there's these connections that are overlapping, uh, but it's a it's a power struggle. And so you know you've had the uh, emperor who has the the emperors who've ruled uh, China for 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 many centuries and different dynasties, etc. Uh, but but now there's this power vacuum, and so who's going to kind of control? So you have these kind of warlords to the north. Um, and then you have this uh, southern uh, uh, soldiers, as they're called, um, under the generalship of Shai Kai-shek. At first, they're actually um, a little bit sympathetic with um, the communists, kind of wondering if uh, they, that could be maybe an alliance in order to kind of fight back these northern warlords. And they kind of they're, they're, they're hoping to take over the country. Who's going to rule China? It's a lot of resources, mm. a lot of people. And um, the, the crucial part is in 1927, early 1927, Adventist missionaries find themselves caught in the middle. Civil war is breaking out. And, uh, you know, like all good Adventists, we believe in the separation of church and state. So they're trying to remain neutral. But it's not always possible, Matthew, to be neutral, no matter how hard you try. Yeah. And, and, and with this civil war in particular... 
they were hunting foreigners. And, and that's the thing. That's where they couldn't be neutral, right? So there's right. this anti-Western, anti, um, you know, this idea of colonialism. They're tired of being kind of thought of as a second tier, second class kind of citizen of the world. Um, when they have, um, they're perfectly um, capable in their, you know, in terms of intellect and everything else. Um, and so they're, they're tired of this, um, I guess maybe the word to use is paternalism, Matthew, you mm-hmm. know, kind of uh, diminutive sure. that, that, that they're not as, as good as, as other people's. And, and so when people come in and trade and, and kind of treat them in a subservient kind of manner, um, over time, there is a resentment that builds up. And I'm not saying that our missionaries necessarily were doing this per se, but there's this wider cultural milieu that's going on through which they exist. And there's a power vacuum. And, um, you know, and and, and that's not to say all, you know, our our missions, the history of missions, it's a mixed bag, right, Matthew? So some some missionaries were very humble and, and saw the Chinese people as equals. Um, and there were still yet others who did not see it that way and, and did see them in a, in, in, in a kind of a condescending way. And that, that's unfortunate. That's true of all missionaries. Um, not, I'm not just picking on Adventist missionaries, but there's a broad sweep here that we need to understand. So there's a, that broad context. And uh, for sure, uh, Adventists are caught up in the middle of that. And so, yeah, so there's this civil war. Uh, Westerners are perceived as contributing to the social ills and and uh, all all of the problems in society. And this has happened before, the infamously with the Boxer Rebellion, 1902, uh, and and China was required to pay for a lot of the damages to to Westerners. And so some of that was it, it's kind of like World War One, you know, that the, the the amounts that they're charging are just so. Right cumbersome that again that even that in itself becomes a source of hatred and resentment uh and so it's kind of it's it's like a cascading kind of thing where where it's it's just not it's not a it's not a good situation matthew right right so this war breaks out between northern and southern troops Mm -hmm. and uh, one of the missionaries that you note here, Lucille Hansen Burwell, says that any soldier found sympathizing with the revolutionary soldiers of the South, the Reds, mm-hmm. said that uh, northern troops would cut their head off right then and there, she says, and that there was no trial. It only took a minute or two, and there were hundreds of heads cut off and hung on telephone poles by the door. That's intense, right, Matthew? I mean, if, I mean, if, can you imagine going to church on Sabbath? You know, while this is going on, yes. Ah, it's what morbid, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's morbid, and and I suppose at first you think we have nothing to do with this, right? We're just here mm-hmm. to teach the gospel. You know, we're not getting involved in their politics. But you have to start wondering if you're these missionaries. Am I really neutral? Am I going to be seen this way? Am I next, you know, do I touch, if I see a piece of communist propaganda somewhere, do I even pick it up? You know, oh man, you no. got to start wondering yeah. where you fit into all of this as you go about in the first few weeks, your 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 daily routines. Yeah, and, and it's not just the mission station there because our main educational institution, which is called the, uh, the China Training Institute, so it's our, mm-hmm. basically our college and we're training future pastors and teachers there. That's maybe about, um, I don't know, 30 miles or so to the southeast of, or actually, no, I guess it'd be the northeast. It's across the river, but, um, and they have students and, and some students are getting really caught up into this, you know, um, sympathizing with, with especially the Southern Revolutionary soldiers. Um, one of them actually mm. uh, cuts his finger off at one point, you know, and, and, you know, and makes an appeal to students. This is the time for revolution. Come and join him. And again, the Whoa. teachers are like, you know, you got to be neutral, you know, everything else. Yeah. They have students that are like, you know, hey, you've got to go join the revolution. They know that the northern troops, if they find this out, are going to kill their students. So they're basically telling them, you know, disperse, we're stopping all school activities. You know, if you can go back home and uh, they're worried for the lives of their students. And they're watching as some of those students just literally, you know, take off to join 
the military. They're swept up in the conflict. So trying right. to stay neutral, but it's increasingly hard because when those people come knocking on their doorsteps, where's your students? You know, what's going on in this campus? We hear you have sympathizers. What are they to say? So the best thing is to just suspend the school entirely. So basically, Adventist missionary activity, whether it's education or whatever, just comes to a complete standstill, which you would expect in a war. You know, we've got the war in Ukraine. What's happening there? Our college right. right away when when hostilities broke out, the college shut down. Everyone goes into hiding. People flee. And now we have sure. um, Adventist College, uh, Ukrainian college students that are dispersed among um, Adventist colleges around the world. I, I just heard about Kettering taking 30, the largest number at Friedensau. Um, I has mm -hmm. just said that they're taking, I think, 20 of the, our school in, 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 the, uh, in the Philippines. Anyways, that's a little side tangent, but yeah. uh, the but point being the same is that, yeah, war breaks out. Um, you can't really have school and missionary activity. Sure. And, and this is actually, I mean, I guess you could look at it as this is really the beginning of the the church being quasi underground in China because this is this is the beginning of the civil war it gets interrupted mm -hmm. by World War II but then wow. it resumes again after World War II and as you note 1949 when the communists take power so this is really the beginning of this story mm -hmm. of of how the church you know like many other churches either had to go go somewhat underground yeah and this is the beginning of that so it, yeah. it, it starts out being awkward. They have to close down. They have to keep their heads down. Mm -hmm. What What is this breaking point here? They, it, I see that you said that in March 19th of 1927, mm -hmm. Adventist missionaries were told to evacuate. Exactly. And, and go to Shanghai. So it's no longer just enough to stop missionary activity and kind of hide in your house or on your mission compound or school compound. But now you have government officials that are saying, hey, we're genuinely legitimately concerned for your welfare. Uh, people yeah. are dying, like, you know, foreigners, other missionaries are getting killed. And so we know your lives are in danger. So you need to, you need to evacuate. And so um, the, there was a, in, in Nanjing itself, there, there was a uh, US uh, consul that's there and they actually uh, come and, and send word, if, if you're not going to completely evacuate, at least evacuate the women and children. Right. And uh, the Adventists, they, you know, in the different memory statements, they begin uh, kind of uh, having very tense uh, discussions, you know, do you evacuate or do you not? You know, if, yeah. if you evacuate and just run away because there's danger, will you be perceived as not being really committed to the missionary work that you're doing? You're not mm. committed to the people. Uh, and yeah. so uh, some of them uh, go down with their luggage. And you can imagine this all happens very quickly. You know, you've got to pack up your things. What do you actually take with you that you is valuable? You know, your, like your photographs that you have, uh, certain things. So they start packing up. Some go down to the river. Um, most of the men remain behind. And some of the women and children uh, remain behind. But things get much worse the next day. And the remaining uh, women and children go down to the boat. Now, it should be noted, this is on the river, it's main waterway. There is a number, because they're evacuating the embassy, the consul that's there. Uh, so there's a number of warships, British and American and other uh, warships that are um, in the river. This is a huge river. If you see this, it really is like the Mississippi or even larger. Yeah. It's just huge river. And so they're, they're out there in the river. It's a place where they can seek refuge. And so they're there. And uh, then the following night, it um, actually the night before the second group of women and children go, that uh, one of the ladies that was there recounted how it was, um, they started hearing gunfire breaking out and it's getting closer to them. She said, it's like fireworks in the heavens. I thought that's one of the great lines yes. of one of the memory statements. Um, it had to be absolutely terrifying, Matthew. Yeah. You know? Yeah, just like uh, the recent war in Ukraine, I can't imagine for some of the people uh, what that was like. You know, the booming of the cannon, all of the different things. You know that your life is in danger. You just hope that they don't start shooting towards you. Right. Yeah, yeah. You don't know. I mean, these women got in this American gunboat mm -hmm. going down the river. Yeah. Said they were fired upon several times and had to lie down behind iron plates so the Can bullets would not hit us. I mean, goodness. 
What a what a terrifying! I mean, they got word to evacuate on Sabbath, yeah. and I don't know what time on Sabbath they got this word, but I could imagine. I mean, like, how do you have a restful Sabbath when the U.S. consul is telling you it you, you need to yeah. get out of here? Yeah. You know, you got to think you stay about behind. This. You're on your own. Yeah, you stay behind. You're on your own because we're leaving too. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> goodness gracious, um, there's this moment where a Mrs. Shaw says. Perhaps you don't realize what it would mean to be shot inside a walled city. It gives one the creeps. Mm. You know, he's like claustrophobic, even though a city is a big place. You know, this feeling of claustrophobia, you know, what's going to happen to us? We can't get out. And start uh, feeling a little bit trapped, you know? Yeah, feeling a little bit trapped. Um, And and you referenced that uh, apparently a battleship was firing at positions Mm -hmm. and... And they 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 stayed up that night with their clothes on, ready to go yeah. at any moment to try to get I, out of here. I, and I waiting, I waiting for word. You. you know, you're just kind of on pins and needles. You know. Yes, yes, and that's when they said it looked like fireworks in the heavens. That, that's such a a phenomenal cinematic moment because you're you're witnessing something that's both terrible and horrible, but also there, there's a, a kind of a twisted beauty to things blowing up and to the booms, you know, it's, it's a, something kind of orchestral about that heavy bass sound, you know, and it's not just Avenus here in this situation who've noted that there's a, there's a mixture of Mm -hmm. emotions going on when you're witnessing such things. Uh, But, but they, the the women who get down the river, Mm -hmm. they're hiding in the boat. They witness the battleship firing. Uh, What happens to the women as they escape? Well, they, they are able to actually stay on the, the battleship. Some actually uh, get on to another ship uh, that goes downriver a little ways, and um, they eventually will make their way down to Shanghai. The, the goal of this whole group is that they get to Shanghai. It's heavily fortified. If there's anywhere that would be safe for them or from which they can evacuate from China altogether if they need to, that's where they need to go. So um, they slowly make their way down um, down the river, Meanwhile, um, uh, the second group of women end up staying on one of the battleships and they continue to watch the war unfolding around them. Uh, and the men who stay behind, um, they're left wondering what happened to them. They, they, yeah. For a while, they, they don't even know uh, so I think they're going to survive. I think this is a question I'm sure someone is, is thinking about as they listen to this. Mm-hmm. Why didn't the men go with them? I, I understand they may be afraid of ruining the influence. Uh, that they might have with the, the the people that they're working with, the Chinese that they're working with, but I, you know, to me, it's a it's a it's a no win situation because you're going to send your wife and your children out alone to mm. go through this to try to find their way to Shanghai. Ah, did they well, did they have any other reason it, for? Uh-huh. Yeah, part of it, Matthew, is I, I just think they they didn't re- I think they didn't realize it'd be as bad as it got. Mm. You know, everyone kind of hopes. I'm, I'm sure, and again, not to keep referring to Ukraine, but, you know, there's a lot of people that stay behind thinking, you know, wait a minute, you know, I can wait this out and it's not going to come too close to where I am. And then they find themselves in the heat of a battle and they find, you know, really, really terrible things happening. So I think that's part of it is they just didn't think it would get as bad. The other thing is, is that they thought the southern troops under Shai Kai-shek would be um, in their favor. So they yeah. really expected, you know, the northern troops to get routed pretty fast, that they could just kind of stay low um, as, as the northern troops are driven back, that the southern troops, and, and what they didn't know, and, you know, historians kind of debate this a little bit, but um, it seems pretty clear now in the hindsight of history that, that there were some uh, communist forces that were trying to undermine Shai Kai-shek that got ahead of his troops that were strongly anti-Western, yeah. And we're trying to make Shai Kai-shek look bad. You know, hey, yeah. here's this guy that, that that's, um, you know, trying to kill Westerners. And Shai Kai-shek's trying to be a politician. And and and, um, and so they're hoping that there'll be enough resentment that, that people will come after Shai Kai-shek. But their plan kind of is thwarted and backfired because he figures out what's going on. But that doesn't mean that the basically the pro-communist uh, forces that invade the city and that are strongly anti-Western um, don't ha- wreak havoc. And, and they actually kill the, the chancellor of the University of Nanjing. They kill a lot of Westerners. They, they kill other um, 
uh, representatives at other consulates, you know, so the, these, I think it's, is it the French or German? Anyways, uh, one of the other consuls um, actually gets broken into and, and basically they're all massacred in there. Mm. So, um, so they're not expecting to be as bad as it is and they're not aware. A lot of people aren't aware war is terrible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's havoc and you know atrocities happen and in this case uh you know you, you don't always know exactly what is happening so and there there's a lot of uncertainty so i think they're um a little too optimistic they don't realize um how bad it's going to get and um they're kind of hoping if they just kind of stay in the compound keep things locked down keep an eye on things uh when those southern soldiers come they'll free and liberate the city everything will be peaceful again and they'll make sure that all the mission property that they work so hard, the church and the school and, and resources that are there that they won't be destroyed. So yeah. um, I think they're hoping for the best and there's a certain amount of risk and um, they're willing to take that risk. Although quickly it turns, um, <laughs> things yeah. escalate. Very quickly because the, you know, the order to evacuate or the recommendation to evacuate was Sabbath, March 19th. By March 23rd, four days later in the evening, northern soldiers had left and mm-hmm. southern soldiers entered the city. Mm-hmm. And, and the men who are left behind, uh, uh, one of them says that they were reading, they just spent the whole the whole night in the compound with the Chinese Adventists and uh, having a prayer service, reading mm-hmm. Psalm 46, Isaiah 41, Hebrews 11, and, uh, and trying to, to so, you know, they would actually set up a watch where they would sleep, and and somebody would always Shifts be on on duty mm-hmm. to to keep an eye out. But it's it's comforting, I guess. To, like, what else do you do in this situation other than turning your Bible <laughs> and yeah. praying? What, what do you, you do? Know? Yeah, like Psalm your life depends on it. All of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, back to the women on the ship. There, I want to quote one of the sure. things I found a little vignette by again. This is by Mrs. Shaw talking about how bullets are, are still whizzing by them on the ship and they're having to take shelter there. Yep. Um, she said, this is quite an experience. We are getting a chance to see how much faith we have. Mm. It looks pretty dark for China, as if nothing will ever be settled again. Everything seems to be shaping for Armageddon. Yeah. So, yeah, in, you're in the, caught in the midst of war. It sure feels like Armageddon. Uh, and, and it feels terrible. But yeah. these are the, you know, the lived experience, the real life uh, experiences of, of these missionaries. Well, uh, back to the, the men that are trapped in the compound. And, uh, you know, this is pretty crazy. They're, here they are. They're trapped. By the way, they, they have two more men who are sent on an errand to document the property at the China Training Institute. Um, and they're told they have to go to Nanjing and, and register this property at the American Consul. They go by bicycle. It's an incredible <laughs> story. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, they eventually make it. And after a great fanfare, trying to get into the city and everything else, they make their way to the Adventist mission. So there's the men who are there, and then there's two more that end up joining them. So sometimes different accounts will have different numbers, but it's because there's two more that kind of join them. And then in the midst of that, one of the missionary men, actually in the midst of evacuation, he gets lost. Oh. The story is not as well known, <laughs> but but he gets lost. Poor guy, um, doesn't know his way around the city too well. Warfare, guns are breaking out, and some nice Chinese gentleman who he doesn't even know takes him into his home, throws Chinese clothes on him, and hides him. So mm. I think that's just a testimony of the incredible goodwill of the Chinese people that in the midst of war they see this this poor innocent missionary lost in the city. Yeah. They're like. Poor guy's going to die and it oh, great personal risk. I mean, this guy's risking right. his own life and, and hides him until everything kind of calms down and he can get him out of there. So yeah, crazy stuff, Matthew. Crazy. You know, I'm a preacher. So just to preach for a minute, because I've noticed one of the threads in this story is how non-Adventist Chinese are taking care of these Adventist missionaries at a moment when they, when they most need it mm-hmm. just out of the blue. I mean, a couple of times at least, Somebody will show up who has nothing to do with them, doesn't believe what Adventists yeah. believe, you know, may not yeah. even be Christian, most likely, mm-hmm. but shows up to help them. Yeah. And to me, what I talked away in the back of my mind and understanding that was, 
man, be nice to people. Don't act superior culturally or religiously because you never know whose help you're going to need mm-hmm. when, when, when you're in trouble. Uh, you know, and for Adventists who are looking toward a time of trouble, I always say looking forward to a time of trouble, but who's looking forward to it? Right. Uh, <laughs> looking toward, like you don't know who God is going to work through. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe these easy categories of, oh, this person's in, this person's out, uh, might not survive very long in that situation. It's going to be whoever God gets a hold of and whoever God doesn't get a hold of is, is right. really what's going to matter. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see that they conducted themselves in such a way where locals were willing to help mm-hmm. and, and, and keep them safe. That's, that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. And, and that story, uh, that theme kind of recurs because now the missionaries are basically barricaded on the mission ca- compound, as you described. And uh, the southern soldiers eventually rout the northern soldiers and they come running through the city, rushing through the city faster than they expected. And the northern soldiers literally having to run for their lives. Right. So yeah. so there's this kind of a panic. There's a moment of pandemonium. Uh, and and uh, the question is, is now they they're expecting the southern soldiers to be friendly and come to them. And there's shouts that, uh, you know, people coming to the gate. Are there foreigners here? Are there foreigners here? And, and the missionaries aren't sure what's going to happen. And so they come out to actually greet these people. In fact, at first, the, the guards trying to protect them, realizing they, they change clothes. Um, and some of, the, some of the guards even leave. Um, and one of them leaves the, the gate open. But there's still one guard that he kind of comes back. And they ask him, are there, are there any um, foreigners here? And he lies, mm-hmm. says no. And then he comes to warn them. And they're like, well, tell them actually we're here. And so he comes back out to the front and some soldiers begin to enter into the mission compound. And mm. there is this van. And then here are the missionaries. And this, this creates this, this epic scene where um, the missionaries are hoping, they're hopeful that uh, these, they've come to the rescue. They will be friendly soldiers. And they are, are telling, trying to express, you know, give them gifts, give them stuff, you know, as right. presents, as, as way, uh, you know, kind of a peace offering. And uh, in response, the soldiers raise their guns. <laughs> like, there are yeah. foreigners here. Yeah. And then you have the guard that's there that's caught in between. Now, there's different versions of the story, depending on who you okay. read and listen to. So some of the missionaries, they don't recognize who the man is. Um, and they think it's just a, a random Chinese person. But the, the crazy part is that he intercedes on their behalf. Mm. So he stands between the guns and the missionaries and is pleading for their lives. And wow. uh, different accounts, some of them say that while he's facing them, talking to them, he's motioning with his other hand, basically trying to tell them to run. Yeah. And, um, and, and some of the missionaries, especially the ones that are learning the language, they're not as familiar. They, they look back. Um, all the different accounts uh, recognize that they never see this man again after, after this happens. So he's presumed that he, he literally actually gives his life to, to give the mm. missionaries a chance to get out of there. Um, That's but the amazing. Yeah, and but but what's even more interesting is Pastor Doolittle actually knows who the person is. Pastor Doolittle is the head missionary of that little mission compound there, and he knew the man, and he mm. tells a little bit of the story of that man because that man had been also one of these, uh, you know, overseas. They they have these what they called coolies that would you would ride in in a um, in a little contraption thing that uh and and then you'd be carried around on the soldiers usually right. two or three of these they called them coolies he'd been a coolie at one time but he noticed that this man was sick and so he had him ride in the actual compartment and then he went and walked along instead and got the man some medicine he became fiercely loyal there's no record that he ever became adventist but it shows you at least in the midst of the anti-colonialism anti-western everything else here you have a missionary that that um, is having to live and coexist in in a certain society and culture where that was accepted forms of transportation, but he didn't see himself as better than even one of the persons that was carrying around. Him. Right. He took the time to notice and care for this man. Anyway, yeah. so he he basically, um, from everything we can tell, it appears that most likely uh, he died. Missionaries, in the meantime, uh, soldiers are shooting after after them, and when Guns are firing, Matthew. You you run, you duck and run. And <laughs> That's so right. they're ducking over the uh, the bushes and hedges there yeah. in the mission compound. 
and eventually they they jump over the mission compound wall behind the compound and there is a cemetery and they well, can kind of hold, hide and hold on behind. i gotta ask about the i gotta ask okay. about the wall here for a okay, second okay. because hartwell one of the people you quote yeah says uh that when this soldier entered the compound in the beginning before this yeah. uh, other man interceded it, it says he raised his gun and shot directly at us. Brother Shaw jumped the wall. The other six of us lay flat on the ground. And I just want to say, Brother Shaw, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Someone's shooting at you. How high would you jump, Matthew? Well, I jumped too, but it's like, see ya, guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting over the wall. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it's, I mean, well, it's just it's funny it, how that happens. You know, and the other thing is the others jumped over pretty quick after. So yeah, I'm sure they did. Fine. They weren't too far behind. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Behind the mission compounds, this the cemetery. Different accounts of how, and there's little bamboo groves and forests and stuff. It's a big city, right? So, yeah, yeah. And so they they begin to kind of duck and cover and hide in the cemeteries of trying to make their way as much distance as possible. I guess at some point the soldiers just gave up following after them, but there's still roving bands of southern soldiers trying to route the north and looking for any westerners mm -hmm. and if they find you you're dead you're yeah. dead yeah, yeah. So, so they go to they go through yeah. the cemetery and then they meet another chinese person who's not a christian who came who helps them find their way to the consulate is that yeah. right yeah well they're kind of figuring where do we go well the best right. place you know maybe the us consul it's protected it has marines it, you know it's if any if there's any place it's going to be friendly and they'll, they'll be able to save them. So they have to kind of do this circuitous route. They find someone, like you said, that that is friendly and that's willing to, again, um, I, it's hard to underestimate, you know, someone doing this is risking their life for these missionaries and, and takes them basically over to the U.S. Uh, consulate. Wow. Wow. So they get to the consulate. Do they get in? And does, you know, is, is the, does the consul help them or what happens? Well, it's crazy because, you know, it's war conditions. So they're not leaving the front gate open. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they're there and there's southern bands of soldiers that are marching along. It's one of the main thoroughfares in the city. So they're hiding across the street. And so they decide this man that's been friendly to them, send a note. See if the guy can get to the U.S. consul, pass it to one of the guards, pass it in, and maybe the U.S. consul will open the gate and help them out. Still in a quandary what they should do. And while they're waiting for that response, some soldiers on the road spot them, and there's a great commotion. And they realize that they are in trouble. They're in grave danger. Um, and and they, if they go running, they're going to be chased by who knows right. how many soldiers that are on that road. Uh, and so that, that seemed to be a fruitless endeavor at this point. They've been had. And uh, so they realized maybe the only chance is to run to the consulate, uh, to the gate there that's locked, and, and, and basically plead for their lives. And so um, at that point, the U.S. consul had gotten the note. He comes out personally to the front and, and orders. And so just as, as they're literally running for their lives, people are raising their guns to shoot at these foreigners, right? They're ready shoot to kill. Uh, and just at that moment, uh, the consul has come out to the front and, and they said it had to be complete providence that, that the moment that he came out just the right moment to open the gate as they had run across the street between wow. two groups of soldiers. And again, people, they said, you know, people were raising their guns to sh fire at them and open the gate and they're able to enter into the enclave of the U S consul almost sounds like, you know, like a you know, James Bond, Mission Impossible yes. kind of moment, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's it's like even, what's that, uh, The Saint? It was that mm -hmm. old, that, that movie from the 90s or whatever, where they're running oh, yeah. to the to the, to the the consulate, or maybe it was an embassy. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, just at the time to get in. Just now, perfect, yeah. Yeah, just perfect timing. Now, here's a point I want some clarification on, because one of them writes, one of the missionaries writes, uh, that they found that the American consul unlocking the gate, and he says, we arrived at just the psychological moment for as, as we crossed the road, some of the soldiers shouted, kill him, kill them. But another spoke up saying, no, they are Americans. Are these, are these Chinese soldiers or are these Marines who, who see people charging the gate and, uh, you know, and think, oh, let's kill them. And somebody reassures them, no, they're Americans. But yeah, man, so what a moment that is. There's Chinese policemen that are helping guard the outside of the consulate. Oh, I see. And you have the Marines that are inside, 
the Marines are there to protect the consul, to protect his life and the property of the government, you know, any of the official records and uh, those kinds of things, you know. So it's kind of like what you see in the movies, you know, here's these guys, but they're ordered not to shoot. Yeah. So you have these Marines, but unless people are actually shooting at them, they're not to, they're not to fire right. on anybody. So, but when they see people charging the gates, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, in this yeah. fraught situation, your first thought is I got to protect myself, you know, in my, in my, my, my position, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so your first instinct is to shoot first, right. And then ask who they yeah. are later, right. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. So that's, so that's another little mini miracle in here. Become the center of wrath and, and and, yeah. and they're, you know, it, it's, it's, it's living life on a knife's edge. Yes. And at any moment, you know, they know that they could potentially be killed. And yes. so it's, it's getting, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a challenging situation. Um, the consul realizes this is not sustainable. They can't stay there. So they need to evacuate and leave. And so they come up with an evacuation plan and, and literally um, had been working on that. Now the uh, Adventist missionaries are part of this evacuation and uh, basically, there was a Standard Oil, uh, which today is now known as Exxon. They're, they had a, a headquarters there on the far side of the city, closest to the river. And they realized that's their best chance to get out of the city. It's the high ground. Um, mm. Best chance of survival is to evacuate the embassy, the consul. And so they do. And so they have a group of Marines at the front and the back. Um, the, uh, the U.S. consul actually gives to one of the missionaries his own daughter, like hold, hold her, take care of her. And you wow. hold the flag. You, know, you can just yes. imagine as yeah. they're kind of trying to make their way, and they're being shot at the whole time as they make their way. I think it's something like two to three miles from the console to this to this uh, outpost that they hope to that uh, would be a, a kind of a fortified place that they could you know, survive a bit longer. So, um, and the miracle is is that uh, none of them got shot, with the exception of one U.S. Marine at the at the back the very end mm. who gets shot. Um, thankfully it's not mortal or anything like that, but, but he's wounded and they're kind of dragging him and, and there's different descriptions, but he's basically shooting back at the Chinese uh, revolutionaries right. that are coming after shooting at them. And, right. and that dispels um, them following for a while. Although at various times along the way, there's other groups of soldiers that start shooting at them. And it just, again, seems like another miracle that they eventually make it to the to these houses where they're able to, um, from there, uh, stay in and, and uh, you know, that, that, that they can, it's their next point of, of Yeah, of they're the going to regroup the evacuation. here. Mm-hmm. They're going to regroup here. There's about 50, 50 Americans who have assembled at this, mm-hmm. at this point. So it's not just the Adventist missionaries anymore. And, uh, and, and so what's their next move? Cause they're, they're clearly not in, in a safe place yet. I'm imagining that those Southern soldiers who've been following them this thus far, uh, are going to follow them all the way to this point. So what, do, what do they do after, after all 50 Americans gather, um, on this? I think you said it was, a, it was actually a property belonging to a standard oil. Uh, I don't know if he was an executive or, or something, mm-hmm. uh, but this is his property. Yeah. Yeah, so right at that point, Matthew, they, uh, you know, go into the home. They they get surrounded by soldiers. They're hoping to hide out in isolation. Um, And and they come in waves where they make demands. They try to appease them uh, at at great personal danger. Um, The the soldiers are down the main floor. They put the other people upstairs. Um, The children and women they put in some of the bathrooms, again, trying to protect them from any gunfire. Um, And eventually uh, they send signals to the ships that are on shore saying, hey, we need help. We're being surrounded. We're about to die. We're about to get. Mm. uh, And just as they're beginning to break into the house after several tense hours of negotiations and standoff, um, the ships get the signal where they begin to bombard the position all around them. It creates a wave of smoke and blasting that scares off the soldiers they all go running away and in the meantime they use that cover to run to the city wall which isn't too far away they actually at one point one of the missionaries sees a soldier about to shoot at them and then disappears in the in the clouds of smoke and everything else and one by one they take ropes and sheets uh, that they had twisted into ropes and they lower themselves down the side of the walls that 
Um, again, it's unclear exactly where the spot is, but the wall is 50, 60, in some places 70, and even 80 feet high. Uh, so this is no small, like, just jump over the wall. And this is the huge city wall that you can drive a couple cars on. It's wide enough. It's that big. Yeah. That you could have a small little highway going around the city on the top of the city wall. And uh, so they escape. The last person that comes down the wall was really this really heavy guy. And the rope breaks. And he falls about 15 feet, breaks a leg. And so they're having to kind of carry him. But basically, no one is seriously wounded or injured. They run to the river, Matthew. They run to the river, uh, which is still some ways away. They're still wondering if people are going to shoot at them. Could they be found out? But uh, again, it's just it's like miracle after miracle after miracle. They get rescued. There's uh, the boats that take them out to the large warships, and they are at last rescued. Wow. What a story. What a story. You know, and I love how you're careful to note that there are many Chinese Adventists who, who were not so fortunate because they had nowhere to go. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's hard to tell their stories. I think, I think the common thing we say about China is that there are so many stories that have happened there over the past several generations that we are unaware of and mm-hmm. we hope get told someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we keep them in mind, of course, as well, even as we tell this incredibly mm-hmm. exciting story mm-hmm. about these men and women who, who, who <laughs> were just in constant danger until they made it to safety. Yeah. Should Mel Gibson make a make a movie about this one next? He did Hacksaw Ridge. Can we do this one? Do you, you want know, to write I up the script this, and I think shop this it? has some has movie potential, cinematic potential, Matthew. Yes. Well, I hope somebody like in Hacksaw Ridge kicks a grenade because that was really just the pinnacle of believability. Uh, <laughs> when right? Desmond Doss kicked a grenade <laughs> in the middle of the air. <laughs> oh, but I mean, it has all the elements to just an, such an exciting story. It's such a shame that this story hasn't been told uh, much in the last 70 or so years. Yeah. But it, it's incredible the bravery of these missionaries. Mm-hmm. And, and, and first of all, you know, of course, wanting to stay behind and protect the compound and protect the you know, the people that they had helped lead to the Lord and to be with them. There's that instinct here. There's, yeah. They're also wanting to protect their, their wives and, and their children as well. And of course, yeah. boy, what a, what a story. What yeah. a story. By the way, uh, Pastor Doolittle, who's the head missionary of the mission compound there, Manching, he says, when we arrived at the gunboat, we could scarcely believe as we looked at one another and ourselves that we were alive after yeah. going through that experience. But the promise that God gave us that we should not fear, that he was our refuge and strength and true to his word, he brought us through. So uh, just incredible um, how against all odds it seemed everything was working against them that yeah. uh, they were able to. And, and like you said, um, you know, war is a messy thing. It's, it's terrible. And uh, many people did lose their lives, including some of the converts. But we're thankful uh, for the lives that were spared. Yes. Yes. And and it, I think uh, sometimes these situations reveal things about our own walk with God, mm-hmm. because when you're, you know, you didn't ask for this situation, there's there's not a whole lot you can do to prepare yourself for it. You're just in it. Yeah. And the question is, are you going to have a prayer life and a devotional life to give you the strength you need to, to make it through? Yeah. You're going to find out in that situation, right? Yeah, and I think it also highlights one more thing. Jane Anderson, who is our first official missionary with his wife and sister-in-law, right, um, to China, uh, he reflects upon this experience writing in the review. So he's, he's, he's not been in China for some time, uh, but he's reflecting his own experience and the overall Adventist ex- missionary experience there. And, and he talks about, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, but basically how they had had... Um, feelings of superiority, these Western and, you know, the, 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 um, these kinds of, um, of, of cultural imperialism today, we would call it right. Mm-hmm. These ideas of superiority. And he said as Adventists, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but basically in our missionary work, we need to repent of those kinds of sentiments that, that there should never be that kind of, of, of feeling of uh, superiority of the people that were here to serve. And, and someone actually recently pointed out some research and said, oh, well, uh, he himself had made some uh, statements that definitely can read them. You're like, oh, well, um, that's not good, Brother Anderson. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. uh, 
So he, I think he's self-reflecting his own experience, but, but this is the fruits of, of when, um, and of course it's not all in the Adventist missionaries, there's broader forces, political, cultural, economic, that were at work, that all contributed to, to these kinds of things. But as Adventists, uh, in, in terms of our Adventist missionary enterprise, um, Adventist missions is at its best when Adventist missionaries see themselves as servant leaders. They're here to serve the people they're not here because in any way that they're better than them, right? And yeah. um, that aspect of Adventist missions um, is still and remains very important. There have been many missionaries, and some have been good and some not so good, but, but Adventist missions is at its best when there is a view in mind that, uh, that, that the people they serve, that the people that are coming to do the ministry are not in any way better. Um, and that uh, in, in any airs of cultural superiority or any other kind of superiority melt before the, the banner of Christ, before the cross of Christ, that we are all one uh, before Jesus Christ. And, um, and so I think this was one of those moments where um, missionaries and Adventists took stock of themselves and say, wait a minute, um, you know, maybe we have made some mistakes here and we need to, moving forward in the future, be more culturally sensitive. Yes. Yes. Well said. Now, where if people want to find out more about this story, do you have plans on publishing in an article or something? Yeah, I'm, I'm working this up, as you know, Matthew, into an article. I've written it up. Um, I'm hoping that it will be published um, in both a more popular and a more um, academic form. Uh, that should be coming out hopefully in this next year or so. So All uh, right. stay tuned. We'll, we'll post that. I'm sure we'll get that on the Adventist History uh, podcast uh, network. Yes, uh, try to let people know as uh, when you find and uncover new uh, historical vignettes and stories, especially ones that that are um, both as complex but as captivating as as this one. Yes, uh, it makes for for great uh, not only great stories but but great life lessons that we can learn from. Yes, absolutely. So we'll look forward to that. But you guys are hearing it here first. Okay, unless That's you're right. like 100 years old and you remember it when it <laughs> happened. You're otherwise, you're probably hearing it here first. Michael, thank you so much for having me as a guest host, as a guest Greg on the Adventist Pilgrimage podcast. Yeah, well, I was about to, in his honor, say that this is the Adventist History podcast. But uh, no, this is the Adventist Pilgrimage podcast. <laughs> and Greg, if you're listening, uh, then uh, we look forward to hearing more about your research here coming up uh, very soon. So uh, this is the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. This is uh, Michael and Matthew for this week or this month. Uh, and uh, we hope that you'll join us again as we seek to uh, uncover uh, new stories, new aspects of our historiography and our past that uh, hopefully you've never heard of before that will challenge your thinking in new and constructive ways. So thanks for listening. And Jesus himself said, that he did not come to do away with the law. God, God. He does not take us out of this world if he does not want us to be.